bankruptcy, divorce laws, disability, probate, there are so many classes on the path to practicing law. Unfortunately, most schools fail to instruct you on the business of law. This is Solo De Facto, a show dedicated to discovering the success secrets that exist in the reality of running a solo practice. My goal is to find the one thing that separates each guest from the rest to give you practical solutions to create a thriving firm. Solo De Facto is sponsored by Back Office Betty's, trusted virtual legal receptionist. Welcome everyone. I'm so excited to be here today with another episode of Solo De Facto. Today's guest is a highly accomplished forward-thinking legal consultant. She's the CEO and co-founder of The Changes. Sherilyn Stevenson, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk to you. Me too. So I'm going to just get right into it. Um, what's the one thing that you wish attorneys knew about running a successful law firm? I think that I would love for attorneys to know you don't know everything about business and that's okay. Your superpower is being great at law. So building a team, either fractional or full-time whose superpowers are in the areas that yours aren't is really key. You should really spend time doing what you love and what brings you joy. For example, Cleaning toilets and folding laundry does not bring me joy, nor can I do those things without stress and an extraordinary amount of time. So I outsource that. If you think about law school, it teaches the foundational principles and the theory of law. And often law school erases the creativity and the curiosity that law students come in with. And so you, they end up stop reading for fun. They're not creating art, not writing fictional stories, um, not dancing, doing yoga, all of those things. Instead, you're taught that there's only one correct way to do things and to think in binary terms. And so because law schools teach about law, but not how to make a living practicing it, like how to get clients, networking, or the business end of running a law practice, it's really important to have your own board around you. You need a mentor um, who's had more success than you have, and they're actually honest with you about their wins and their losses. You need an advisor outside of your full-time payroll because that's who's going to be the most objective, right? Is someone looking from the outside in and not... Um, and, and not really worried about, am I gonna get a paycheck if I say the wrong thing? Um, and they can also look at your business and suggest areas for improvement. And then of course you need a support team and you need a great support team. A large number of attorneys have lost their license just for business reasons, you know, trust account violations, not showing up for hearings, missing deadlines. So your support team also should be part of that board of directors. So I would say that's the, maybe not one thing that I wish attorneys knew about running a successful law firm, but certainly it's, um, you know, it's really the meat and potatoes of it. There is so much there that I want to talk about. So the first thing is how do you get started implementing a team like that when you, when you aren't sure how to run a business and you're just trying to make your law firm take off in a positive way, what's the first step that you would take or advise someone to take? I think the first step is number one, you do need that mentor. 
So, you know, I always say that it's, it's, it's pretty ironic how if you go to medical school, you can't come out being a doctor without a residency. But, you know, with being a lawyer, you can come straight out past the bar and start practicing win, lose, or draw. So knowing that, it's very important to have a mentor in place, period. Whether that be you office share with them, um, you really need to get that foundation first um, so that you can um, learn from them. You're going to have to learn. There's going to be some pain involved. There's going to be some things that are missed, but you don't want to miss too much um, because like I said, those violations that end up happening, uh, you know how they say ignorance is no excuse of the law. They take that same stance with you keeping your bar license and when you take that oath. So it's very important that not only do you make sure you have a mentor first, but when it comes to making sure you have that board of directors around you, join all of the groups. You know, there's always a young lawyer association. Make sure that you're teamed up with a judge possibly um, and that you're just a student, a, always a student. You should never stop being a student. And then look for these outsourced opportunities. It's a gig economy. And that's what's really fun right now. And my company does this and several others where we have, you know, attorneys and paralegals and operations people and you, um, billing, invoicing, you name it. We have all of those that can be loaned to you at a fractional rate. You know, it's kind of like what seasonal workers were, you know, back in our day when it's like, oh, I'm a seasonal worker and I work at the mall during Christmas season. Well, you can just pick up some extra help from a professional who can help you with those things too. Because like I said, there's so many fractional opportunities out there. Yeah. You don't need to do everything yourself with, but you also don't need everyone to be an employee on your team. You, you can pick and choose and, you know, have somebody four hours doing this and four hours doing this instead of everyone being on full-time salary. And I think that's something that gets, um, it's a misconception because it's so expensive to have salaried people that you're viewing if, okay, if I'm going to have somebody doing my marketing or I'm going to do have somebody doing my scheduling, or I'm going to have somebody doing all these things. And you're thinking that they need to be full-time. Yeah, you're absolutely It's overwhelming. Right. Yeah, absolutely. You're absolutely right. And then here's the other interesting thing that um, people end up forgetting too, is it is better to outsource because when you're outsourcing, especially as a, a new business owner and you don't have a big budget to get very experienced people. So you're really looking for people at more of an internship level almost who they don't know much more than you do. The beautiful thing about outsourcing, about going with these other companies is you're also paying for their expertise. Like you're paying for someone who knows this and has done it for other law firms. So that's the really, um, that's the missing piece that I think a lot of people don't understand because it's very easy to just assume, um, for example, that, oh my goodness, this is a higher hourly rate than I would have normally paid someone. Well, your one hour that you may have paid an expert to do something could have, you could have been paying 
you know, someone at your lower rate eight hours to still mess it up. So um, there's just so many opportunities now. And I think it's really important that people start thinking of it in ways also of um, how is this truly serving my company and pushing me forward as well. I think that's all such great advice. So why don't you think that this is something that's more widely known? Why, why is it something that attorneys feel like they have to do it all without even knowing what they're doing? Well, (laughs) that's what has made them attorneys, you know, that they have been successful and they have been at the top of their class and they have been successful at test taking And it can be viewed as a weakness if someone else can do something and admitting that this isn't my area and, and it's not. And, um, but nobody has ever, they don't teach that in law school, how to say no, they definitely don't teach that skill set. and attorneys don't get to where they are by saying no either. So So in a lot of ways, this is, we've gotten to this place because what has made them successful, they now have to break that paradigm down and kind of go against it and go against the grain and be willing to um, evolve their way of thinking from what made them successful to how they're now going to reach the next level of success. That makes so much sense. So it's almost like you have to shift your mindset. Once you get out of law school, it's going to be completely different than anything that they've trained you for. So you have to shift and learn all of that on your own of how to even accept the help that you're looking for from these people. Yes. absolutely. And that seems like something that is probably a pretty big challenge to break down. Yes. (laughs) How do you help or what are the steps that you take to help somebody do that when there's, when they're saying they're ready, they need that help. They want to grow their firm and have a successful business in their firm. How do you break that down? Well, first of all, there's never been a time that any attorney has just raised their hand and said, I need help. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It has really come down to them saying, you know, sure, come in and look at it. You know, when we're talking about what our superpower is and what we really like doing, um, it really starts with what we call an environmental scan. And so with that, we come in and we look top to bottom, bottom to top, we're looking at everything. So um, from reporting to, and we're knowing about your collections rate, your collections realizations rate, which is, you know, what is getting written off by clients not being paid. We're looking at all of the business things that are not taught in law school and that attorneys don't typically want to spend time on, you know, on the business part of it. They want to practice law. So we're looking at numbers, you know, we're always, we operate, that's one, that is one train of thought that we have that is very in alignment with attorneys, which are people lie, numbers don't. So we show the numbers and they're usually 10 times out of 10 that we've done this whole environmental scan and we've looked at everything. We come to them and we give them realizations. For example, we had a client that had over $500,000 that hadn't been collected. They had no idea 
that they have this much outstanding. And even with us trying to, you know, now set a plan for this is what we're going to do to collect it. Half of that was money that you couldn't even go back and collect because their clients had specific guidelines for you would need to submit an invoice within this amount of time or else you cannot collect. So, you know, and then there's even been instances where, you know, kind of the owner of the firm will say, oh my goodness, we have the best technology ever. We have the best practice management system, the best phone systems. It's just night and day from any law firm. And then you get to talking to the people that really matter, right? The ones doing the work and everything. And they just, they're like, what? Yeah, I'm sure they think it's great because they're not the ones looking for anything. Anytime they need a document, they come to us and then we end up spending four hours looking for a document. So while I'm in the background crunching numbers on inefficient practices that usually the top level doesn't know about because who's going to go to the managing partner and say, you know, let me talk to you about this technology problem. You know, they're not going to feel comfortable doing that, but we do. So we look at all that. We translate everything into a dollar. We translate everything into time. And so that is one thing. And that's one, that's one of the greatest things about working with attorneys is they're very intellectual and they can understand facts. And so I, you know, let the facts talk. I let, I let the numbers on the paper do the talking and I just sit there and say, let me know if you have any questions. Those are hard lessons to have to learn, I'm sure. And I, now my, that leads me into the next question of how do you figure out those numbers if somebody was not ready to work with you um, and they were going to try and figure out on their own how to figure out what they need, how do they find those numbers that tell them what, what kinds of um, things they're missing and where their time is inefficiently spent and what their um, wasted time can equal out to in billable hours? How do they start to figure that out? So it takes a very, number one, there has to be a relationship with this person and a trusting relationship at that with this person or whoever they choose and the rest of the team. They need to feel that they can talk in a way, you know, whenever we do these scans and we interview each single individual, and not only do we interview current employees, we interview employees that have left in the last, you know, maybe six months or so, because we're looking for things and trends. And those are opportunities. So they may not be able to get the exact same information as us, because, you know, a lot of times there are contentious reasons for why someone may leave. But there has to be possibly like an anonymous type of survey That's one thing we always tell our clients when we work with them is we will not disclose our sources, right? (laughs) We're not going to say this person said this, even whenever we pull out quotes from what people are saying, like, let's say if it's not a, if they feel it's a toxic work environment, we will pull a quote out from what they said, but we aren't um, assigning it to anyone. We're just showing them things of this is what's going on in your firm. This is what the boots on the floor are saying. So I think that the way that people could go about doing it, if they wanted to do it themselves, is 
find a way to do, there's plenty of, you know, like SurveyMonkey, Question Pro, to name a few, online survey tools where you can do it and it's anonymous and everybody, um, you know, build the same questions out and answer it honestly. Also, I know that there's some survey tools um, with payroll, for example, Gusto is a payroll provider that a lot of small firms like using. They also have surveys within their um, tool as well. So I would say an anonymous survey and then, you know, come on, we're in the legal field. So people are going to be skeptical. So you could always have a little box where everybody, you know, has a piece of paper and they, you know, X which um, one it is and they do a survey by hand and, you know, drop it in their little, drop it in a spot and you get it at the end of the day. So I would say to definitely start somewhere where it is anonymous and where you're inviting people to share with you. Um, you know, you ask very specific questions. Like you want to know about the technology. You want to know about work-life balance. You want to know about if they feel valued. You know, there are some key things that you want to make sure you ask to ensure that the employee is having a great experience. So what I just pulled out from everything you were just saying is that when you have inefficiencies, it can really affect the work environment, which can cost you money. So when you are a solo, for instance, and that work environment is your own toxic environment that you have created for yourself, where you're working 15, 16 hours a day and no work-life balance, what do what do you tell them about getting it in check? And how do you explain that and find those numbers to show them that they're creating their own toxic environment for themselves? For them, I would have them and what I have done. And there are studies about this as well. And it's also really in an alignment with what I see. And that is they need to, for a minimum of three days, track every single thing that they do. Everything, every time they go to the bathroom, it doesn't matter how many bonbons they eat, you know, how many times that they ignore the crying baby, whatever it may be, write all of that down for at least three days. And when, and when you sit back and look at it, a lot of times, so the studies are, which are consistent with what I found too, that they on average get anywhere from one to three hours of work, actual work that's billable to a client or that is transferable to client work product getting done one to three hours in their full working day, whether that be a six hour day, a 15 hour day, there's nothing above that three hour mark of them working. So I say you start there and you look at that and you can categorize it from there, right? So how much of this is spent on administrative things? Am I just in emails? You know, that's one of the things that people drown in is emails. And that's one of the services that our clients love is our virtual assistant um, outsourced one because of the email management, because of being able to set rules and make sure things are calendared and make sure you're calling to the attention what's important versus, 
like, hey, this is for your weekend reading, you know, it's not case specific, things like that. So I think it really starts with jotting everything down for those three solid days. And then you need to kind of step back, look at it and say, dang, because they're going to be surprised once they actually look at it. I'm sure that is so enlightening and also probably really disheartening when you're, when you're looking back, you're like, I can only bill for nine hours of the 24 I worked, you know, that has to be very difficult. And so I love that advice because it's something tangible that you can really look at exactly what you're needing help with because of the things that you're spending time on that aren't paying you. Absolutely. Yeah. You really want to work smarter, not harder. And if you look at that list and you start figuring out how do I outsource this? Because if you think of it from this lens, your rate, your billable hour, whether you're plaintiff, defense side, contingent, fee-based, anything, you calculate what your time is worth. And is your time real, like, would you spend as much as your hourly rate is on someone doing administrative work, on someone faxing something? So if you wouldn't spend that on them, don't spend that on yourself. You can go out and make that money and be able to afford having someone to do those things that are really in their zone of genius. And, you know, and I love the four zones, you know, there's the zone of incompetence, the zone of competence, zone of excellence, and zone of genius. So we all know what the zone of incompetence is. It's just like, mm -mm, I shouldn't even be doing it. Like for me, gardening, there's no reason. (laughs) There's just no reason. I'm going to blame it on Texas weather. And the fact that I'm over here wearing a sweater and it's 75 degrees, but that is cold for me. And so I, I have no business gardening. And then there's a zone of competence, like, maybe, you know, a little bit about it, but you know, it's, you're just enough to be competent. And that's kind of like where my musical skills are, I would say, are kind of on that zone of competence, zone of excellence. You're really good at it. Doesn't mean that you should make a career of it. You know, I'm really good at cooking and my family benefits from that. That's my zone of excellence. And that's, you know, what I do a great job with. My mom will request for me to make certain dishes that she, you know, enjoys. And that's, you know, the level where it should stay. And then there's the zone of genius. This is where you are operating. This is money. This is where you're most valuable, where you're most valuable. So as soon as attorneys really start to understand that just because you may be competent in stuff, let's get you operating over here in your zone of genius. And, and, you know, you operate in your zone of genius your staff will operate in their zone of genius. And then that's just going to make you more money, save you more time. And it's going to make you less frustrated. People don't want to do the work that isn't in their zone of genius. So trust attorneys and solo um, attorneys who are sitting here faxing their own things, making their own copies. They're not doing it while humming a song and like, this is my happy day. Yay. (laughs) You know, like that's not happening. So um, we really like to try to get them back focused on their zone of genius. That's so it's got to open so many worlds once they have a full team doing that, you know? Um, it's funny. Cause my daughter this morning told me I'm an amazing driver. 
And so I'm like putting that in the, like, that's why my excellence category, because it's not something I like doing that much, right. but apparently I'm amazing at it. And that's why she loves that. I'm her mom. I'm like, okay. Love um, it. but finding the things that you do love, it really does make it seem so much easier to get through your day. You're not one thing that I've noticed is that, you know, answering the phone call where it's a solicitor for the 30th time that day is one of those things that's like, you shouldn't even have to do that. You shouldn't have to spend your time because you're not going to pay someone your billable hourly rate to be doing the same thing. And so why not have someone else do this thing that sucks and that you can pay them for way less than what you're paying yourself? Absolutely. No, absolutely. And even, you know, there's, also, I know I was talking to another company the other day that does medical records outsourcing, which I'm very upset about that I didn't know about. They didn't have companies like this when I did medical malpractice. And there's a whole other company that, you know, for $30 a record, you can just um, have them send the releases to the hospital, get the medical records for you, organize them, scan them in and everything. And it's just when, you know, back in my heyday, they actually had just people where that was their only job was just dealing with the medical records. And I'm just thinking how much more efficient is that to have outsourced it? And you have it with people who have a relationship with these hospitals, because I know a lot of times they just spent time on the phone saying, you know, hey, following up on this records request, you know, what's the status, what's going on, and they're looking for it. But now you have companies who have these established relationships, and that's their zone of genius, that's their zone of expertise, and so let it go. Yeah, because that's also streamlining the whole process too, once they have those relationships and that, that expertise, it's easier like for everybody. Yes. (laughs) So I kind of want to move on a little bit and I want to ask you a little bit more about your company. Um, what is something exciting that you have coming up? Anything in the future that you're super excited about? Absolutely. I mean, we stay excited. We are the changes for a reason because we're always changing and evolving and Um, making sure that our services really serve our clients and the greater good and just what's necessary. So um, right now we are really excited about and continue to be excited about um, all of the outsourcing opportunities. So for example, we currently are already doing outsource collections, outsource billing, outsource operations, um, and outsource HR and human resources and Um, recruiting and all of that. And so we continue to stay excited about that. We're also excited about the attorneys that are coming out of law school that are opening their own practice, or it's also the attorneys that are with law firms now, and they're deciding they want to open their own practice now. I mean, you know, it's such a gig economy and contractor type of economy. And it's, really neat to see the modernization and everything happening with that. So we love partnering with all of these new business owners. Um, We have so many of those type of opportunities in the pipeline right now with working with new solo startups, with people that are looking to scale and grow, 
kind of like the lawpreneur that you're talking about already that, okay, they're a solo and they're doing everything and they're really only clocking one to three hours a day while the rest of it is administrative. We're coming in and we're helping with that and, you know, changing that trajectory and getting them um, on the right track. Um, and the thing that we're the most excited about um, is we are in the beginning stages of working on a new technology tool um, that is going to bridge the gap of corporations that are hiring outside counsel in a more equitable manner. Wow, that is awesome. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, so now I need to ask, how did you even get here? I really want to know, take me back as far as you want to, but I would love to know the life of Sherilyn, how you got into this space. And is there anything that could have predicted that you'd be here now with the changes? So, yes, I grew up in a legal family. My mom was an office manager at attorney general my entire childhood. I had three uncles that were attorneys. And my mom definitely broke all the child labor laws when I was growing up because I worked at attorney general every summer. So after high school, um, I ended up starting my career at attorney general, which then grew to me, you know, you know, I was there for uh, three years and it was funny once I started going to court and um, being with the attorneys, that's when it really bit me like the legal bug was like okay this is my love language and so I left from attorney general and started going into private practice and being a paralegal you know various legal assistant roles every practice area um, then going into leadership and then I really started being more into technology and consulting with that and the interesting thing, and, and even with consulting and the technology, it was still in legal. So I went in-house and I worked um, doing in-house work. And so in every position, the one thing that remained the same and the constant was my desire to make things more efficient and to stop waste. You know, for example, my first job that I was telling you about at Attorney General after high school, I created a new file system that was back when they had real file rooms. And so every time that we come back from court, they would, there's like rows of files and you would have to literally take each one off and then ship them up and, you know, start again. So it was an all day process every week coming back from court. So I finally was like, well, can't we just do a continuous rotation and like put you know, kind of this divider of, okay, this is everything from this court date and so on. And that was like the coolest thing since sliced bread that they ever heard of. <laughs> and, you know, I here I was, was just, you know, a fresh 20 year old and by far the youngest person there. And that was just always what I was. I had another job where I created a whole intake process because it was redundant. And it was a redundant process, yet at the same time, it was done different every time. So I've always been about that. And then once I became a trial paralegal, the efficiency and the checklist part of it became even more necessary because now you really can't forget anything. These were days before all the cool technology. So you're not forgetting something that's online. You're forgetting something that's back in the office <laughs> and you have to like travel back and 
get it. So um, that's always been my path. And I always, when I was getting out of the paralegal world and I asked myself, what was the thing that I liked most about it? And I'm trying to think what I'm going to do with my career now. I, you know, kind of climbed everywhere that I could within this industry. What is it I want to do? And I said, I want to make it better. I love law. I love legal. I love everything about this. And I don't want to go anywhere else. I just want to be part of the change. I want to be part of the evolution. It's one of the most antiquated professions. And I want to be part of now that I can speak the language. And I'd like to say that I'm bilingual in English and attorney. You know, I'm able to understand them. They understand me. You know, there's also that added, it's that added benefit that I've been there. I've been on the ground floor working with every one of them. So, um, so I was like, you know what? You guys keep your law school degree and keep doing great at that. I'm going to go and get my business degree. And that's what I did. So I went back to school and I got my MBA and fell in love with Excel and all things spreadsheets. And so now I'm all about crunching numbers. That's how I got here. <laughs> that's so awesome. I think it is such a gift to be able to look at systems and processes and be able to fix them because so many people can't, and they're just stuck in the cycle of processes that don't work. Um, it's also kind of funny because I've noticed a lot of people that work in a legal adjacent industry have a lot of legal background, you know, in like, it's always been something that's interesting. And I, um, I used to dream of going to law school, but I was like, oh, college for that long, just there's no way. And now here I am doing marketing in a legal adjacent field. And I'm like, this fits me so much better, but at least I'm still getting to be in my interest. Like, yeah. you know, I wouldn't have cut it as a lawyer. I am, I'd probably cry in court or something, you know, <laughs> but, um, I think it's really cool that so many people are, have found a way to still work in legal, but in what their specialty is or like their zone of genius, like we were mentioning earlier. Yeah. Um, so if you could go back in time and meet yourself when you first started, well, either if you first started at the attorney general, or if you, when you first started your first consulting gig, what would you tell yourself? Okay. So if I could go back, um, to when I even started the changes. So I started the changes in January of last year, 2020. And the thing I would tell myself is knowing what I know now, you don't have to do business with everyone who wants to do business with you. It's okay to take a more value aligned approach and a purpose-driven approach, just as you may choose to be vegetarian or not drink alcohol because of a specific religious affiliation. If you can have that same conviction there, you can also still have those same kind of convictions with the clients that you align yourself with because all of that is part of your brand. And so now that everything is, you know, on social media and everywhere, you kind of just want to make sure that you're aligned with people that are even posting the types of things you would support on social media and that stand for what you would because your name will be aligned with them. 
And so if you do find yourself in a place of having already hired a client that doesn't align with your values, then fail from it, fail from it fast, learn from it and move on swiftly. So I would say that would be the thing. I think it's hard for us who are new in business, new to opening a business. It's easy to think, oh, I need to just make money and there's no reason to turn a client down or to maybe dig deeper into um, anything with them. But, you know, just like people can do background checks on you, you can do them on your clients too. So I would say that would be what I would tell myself. I love that. It is so scary to tell someone like, no, I don't think that this is a good fit and know that you're turning down money, but it's important because to continue enjoying what you do, you want to be around the people that value things that you do or that are just generally the people you like being around, you know, you're going to start to really hate your job. If you're only dealing with people that you don't align with. And I, um, I actually started a virtual assisting company a while back and that is how I met Emily and got my gig at back office Betty's was I started as her virtual assistant and then it just evolved from there. Um, but in doing that, it was so scary to say no to anybody. I was taking anything, like anything that anyone could ask me to do. And then when I realized that I didn't have to do that, it actually opened opportunities for more people and more money doing things I liked better. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that advice. Um, and so we had talked before, and I know you're really passionate about attorneys and their mental health. Can you tell me a little bit more about what you do with that in your free time? Absolutely. So, um, mental health is very important. I mean, all of us, me included have struggled with mental health, but lawyers have a history of not getting help with this. And some of the more alarming statistics that, run through my mind consistently is, for example, before entering law school, studies have shown that law students have a psychological profile similar to that of the general public. However, after law school, 20 to 40% actually then have a psychological dysfunction. Also, depression among law students is 8 to 9%. Um, prior to beginning law school. After their first year, it goes up to 27%. After their second year, it goes up to 34%. And then after they're finished with law school, it's at 40%. And I think we all know how lawyers are the most um, frequently depressed occupational group in the United States, which makes them 3.6 times more likely to suffer from depression than non-lawyers. And, you know, so really what it comes down to is lawyers are in the trauma business and it affects them too. So it's so puzzling to me that despite all of these well-documented and well-studied consequences of lawyering, that is yet another thing that there is not talked about in law school is, you know, not only the practice of law, but also the business practice of law rather, but also just the mental health of law. So We love with my organization, we partner with a mental health organization every month. We donate a fraction of our proceeds every month to a mental health organization. Um, And specifically, we look for ones that help with lawyers 
um, with, you know, with the suicide, with mental health, with just strengthening them and encouraging um, them. And also just making sure we are making people aware of the mental health and the necessity of taking care of yourself. And that's a lot of what we try to do. So um, that's why one of our zone of genius and what we really strive to do is being able to help with these efficiencies because this is stressful. And what makes it more stressful is what's more stressful than spending time on all of this work that they don't want to is you're spending the majority of your time not operating in your zone of genius, which means that you're spending the majority of your day not happy and you're stressed out and you're used to being successful and used to being on top and now you feel inundated. And now you also feel like you're doing things that aren't to your skill set level. So it's so important to make sure that you're looking at those opportunities for how you can um, make sure you're operating in more of your happy place during the day than not. Yeah. Every single piece that we've talked about in this conversation has come back in a way that those things can negatively impact your mental health if you're not taking care of it. And I don't think enough people know that. And I appreciate that you are helping to bring light to it. Um, This conversation has been really, really great. Um, I have loved talking to you. Um, Where can people find you? So I'm online. Um, I have a website, which is www. Well, I don't think people say www anymore, but okay. Changes, (laughs) which is spelled C-H-A-N-G-I-S-T-S dot com. Um, We're also on social media. We have a YouTube channel. We have uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook, um, all at The Changes. So please be social. Reach out to me. Um, You can also email me and you can reach me at connect at changes.com as well. Um, On my website, there's a area that you can book a free just discovery call kind of consultation. And we just chat about any opportunities. You know, we love being involved in any way. And even if that means just bouncing off a quick question, um, we're here. So this is, this is my love language. This is what I do for fun. So (laughs) call me. That's awesome. And we'll link all of that um, in the show notes too. But thank you so much, Sherilyn. Thank you for having me. This has been great. It's like, (laughs) it's therapeutic for me. I'm just like, this is very exciting. I want to talk some more. I know, right? It's hard to have to wrap it up. Um, (laughs) Thank you everyone who has listened to this episode. If you've learned something or enjoyed this podcast, please share it with someone else who might get some value from it. Um, And that is it. So another great episode of Solo De Facto. We'll catch you next time. Thank you for joining us for today's show. For more information, visit our site at solodefacto.com. And remember, smash that like and subscribe button on your favorite podcast app. Solo De Facto is sponsored by Back Office Betty's, trusted virtual legal receptionist, helping you grow your firm one call, one chat, one new client at a time. To discover how they can help you grow your firm, head on over to backofficebetties.com and mention the Solo De Facto Show for an exclusive listener offer.